Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past, and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. Growing Up Fire, Maritimes Tour. I'm in a bit of a crazy place today. So uh, I'm here with uh, Paul and Andrew and Mark and the Scots. So Scott times two. And I'm at uh, Nova Scotia Public Safety and Field Communications Shop. I'm sitting beside the mobile communications support truck. There's another one outside. I've never seen so many radios in my entire life. I immediately got to tell you guys that I was thinking of how many times I could have used this in my career to this point. So if you ever feel like moving out West, let me know. But yeah, thank, thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, sitting down with us. Thank you. And uh, we got uh, Bubbles here from the Trailer Park Boys. going to cut it all off. That's right. Right here. Fresh out of the trailer park. <laughs> <laughs> my kid. <is> so <laughs> this wouldn't be the same without having you here. And, oh, I know. I gotta, you know. All, all the Albertans will appreciate that, that know you from yeah, CVFSA. and Make and my video your, popular from back a few years ago. Back in the CVFSA 2018. Yeah, right on. <laughs> Good. So I just kind of want to go around, guys, and have you introduce yourself. So Paul and, and Andrew, I, I know for quite a while, quite a while now, different CVFSA things. But uh, so Scott F, let's let's start with you. Maybe just tell us a bit about you, how you got here, what you're up to. Yeah, I'm the training officer here, so my main job is to go train all the different users that use the Trump Mobile Radio System in Province of Scotia. Before this, uh, I worked as a dispatcher in the provincial communication center in, in Shubenacadie, so I spent nine years there um, before I got this job. Getting out of shift work was, was kind of an inability, and I did a lot of teaching through the fire service anyway in our county. So I've been in the fire service for uh, over 29 years. I'm in between the uh, first 25 years of the Hilton Fire Brigade, uh, eight of those or nine of those, I was fire chief. The last five years with uh, Stuyak Fire Department, now I'm the deputy chief. So I uh, started when I was 18 years old, kind of come up through the old school environment. So it's, and it's always a different, different challenge every day on how to do things. Yeah, it's awesome. You just came from a training session with all the snowplow drivers. You did get a group of like 25 public works new snowplow operators. So um, some of the things to learn how the radio system works, how it will help them on their everyday job, and just how they can get across their region and the province as well. Ever getting any sort of, of issues, trouble, or just it's kind of cool how you guys get to work with all of the different agencies, right? It's not uh, no singular thing here. No island here, I guess, is a way to put it, right? It's absolutely connected to everybody. Right on. Uh, Scott, how about you? The other Scott. Not that Scott, the other Scott. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. So, yeah, I've been with government since 1987. Started there when I was three. Uh, <laughs> 
I started there at a school and uh, was a fire crew foreman and a fire crew uh, person for the Department of, at the time, Lands and Forests. Changed names a few times, but uh, worked on uh, on the crews for, oh, probably 11 or 12 years as a fire crew foreman. And then went over to the Department of Transportation doing winter dispatch and uh, had an opportunity to come to public safety and field communications to do some training. Uh, it was going to be for a few months, and that started in 2000. I guess we haven't got the training done yet because we're still here. <laughs> that was when I moved over. It was in 2000, and I did the training officer role before Scott. And uh, now I'm supervisor of the field operations side of our house, so training, the, vo the volunteer coordination, which Paul does. I supervise that, and Mark, who looks after our comm support trucks. My main goal, or not goal, but role is uh, I'm a liaison person between all the various users of the radio system and government and Bell, the, the service provider. So we have a tremendous amount of users on this system. Most don't realize it's beyond police, fire, and ambulance. All the provincial government departments, federal departments, it would shock you how many different agencies are on there. So we, we treat them all the same. We work with all of them. My background uh, in the fire service is I've been in the, the North Queens Fire Department since around the mid-80s. And probably a little before that, I was a junior firefighter with the department, came up through the ranks and went through the, the senior ranks, uh, all through all the officers' positions to being chief for a few years and deputy chief. Deputy chief, I agree, is the role to have, as you that's said the other night. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. Yeah. I think that's why Paul stayed where he, he is at now. So, <laughs> exactly. But yeah. doesn't want anyone yelling at him. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the ideal circumstance. But uh, when my uh, family expanded, I had a daughter, and then we... Uh, we're going to have one more, and it ended up being two. So we had twins, and I just stepped back as a, a regular firefighter, and I've been a regular firefighter ever since. Just do the do the armchair quarterbacking now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Truck driver mainly. So anyway, that's a, a little bit about me. Nice. Andrew? Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, I'm kind of the uh, the odd man out here today. And these you, guys, you and me both, brother. <laughs> he likes the radio. These guys, uh, I do like the radios, and, and I do like hanging out with these guys. They're a, a great group to hang out with, and I guess it just kind of goes to show about our agencies and how, uh, even though we're two different departments, but how the Provincial Emergency Management Office ties into the work that these guys do, whether it's you know communications, emergency management, fire service training, exercising, we're all uh, kind of apart, so... Um, I started out in my career much like uh, like Scott too over there did with lands and forestry, natural resources, <laughs> has changed names a few times, but uh, started in the fire crew as well uh, before um, I spent a few years there, went to work for emergency health services where I worked with both Paul and Scott, sorry, Paul and Mark, and spent 15 years there and then uh, came back to government through transition through natural resources where I was a safety officer uh, and then now over to the emergency management office. I mean, my role here is to work with municipalities, look after what's called region three, which is the lower half of the mainland of Nova Scotia, work with 25 municipalities there, ensuring that they're trained and, and writing plans and good plans and, you know, taking care of their, uh, their communities and making them resilient. Man, I hope you can top that. Jeez, I, I don't know if I can. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, so yeah, one. so 
Where do I even start? My I'll start with my fire service career because it kind of all blends together a little bit. Well, one big um, beating or yeah, what? Yeah, it's all what. Well, actually, <laughs> and, and people ask, how did I get in the fire service? But I, I've honestly been exposed to fire service since I was born. My grandfather was a deputy fire chief in what now is part of HRM, but it's Rockingham. Mm-hmm. I can remember back as early as being four and five years old and the fire phone ringing in my grandparents' house, right? So there's an old dispatch where my grandmother take the call and push the fire horn button and that sort of thing. So technology's almost life. the same, hey? No? What's that? The technology's oh, almost much, the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And my father was in the fire service, and I think when I turned 18, I just, you know, naturally joined the fire department. So I started off in Kentville and moved up through the ranks, and, uh, you know, I started working with the EHS, doing some dispatch. I had all kinds of roles at EHS. My sort of my two favorite ones were a uh, public relations officer, which was probably the busiest job I've ever had in my life. You know, the early morning news uh, reporters be calling for the overnight stuff. And then at 11 o'clock at night, the late night reporters are calling about all the stuff that happened during the day. And I was sort of the single guy, single point of contact for, for that. And then I I get over into logistics where I manage the uh, medical first response program, which is a program I'm really proud of. Uh, you know, I helped, uh, I didn't start it or anything, but I helped build it and then got a lot of fire departments involved, made a lot of contacts all over the province. But that's kind of where I, I finished. And really how I get into this role was uh, I knew well, I knew Scott and I knew a few others that worked in, in public safety field communications. And uh, I guess my boss at the time was Jeff Frazier, or he was a, operations uh, director or something and I remember I was away and he called me and said I got I got something to add to your portfolio he said he said what do you know about radios and I said I, I man I don't know you push this button on the side and you talk and you get somebody right that's about the extent of what I knew and he said we're going to get you to manage all the radios with the ambulance service in the province and I said you know I thought oh, it can't be that bad but as I get more involved with it I said well I, it was a sharp learning curve you were right? wrong. Yeah, I was wrong <laughs> so anyway with the help of my uh, now my colleagues uh, I learned a lot about radio and and uh, there was an opportunity that came up, I guess, in 2014, it would have been. It's hard to believe I've been here that long uh, to do some of the training to move from TMR1 to TMR2. And they liked me so much, they kept me around. So I, I jumped over to this role and really, quite honestly, haven't looked back. Uh, the uh, healthcare uh, industry right now is extremely busy and stressful. And I talked to former colleagues and I'm kind of glad the the move happened when it did. So the way it did. Yeah. yeah. So from Kentville, uh, you know, from the fire service right now, I'm in, uh, I'm Hansport and there's a phone ringing already. Yeah. So uh, I'm in Hansport. I'm in the West Hans regional fire service. I'm deputy chief of station six, basically in Hansport. And then lots of exciting things happening there as well with, uh, uh, you were in last night to see our new station. So we're probably within a week we're going to be in and uh, we had an aerial on order and uh, great fleet of trucks and you know we're we're doing well so that's kind of what my status is nice yeah okay so mark that brings us to you well so i guess welcome jamie to nova scotia and and thanks for hosting us and a little bit about me is uh i started with public safety field communications back in 2017 Prior to that, I've been working for emergency health services as a paramedic for over 30 years. Certainly knew Paul and Andrew, Scott and Scott. And I worked in the Special Operations Division, EPSO, Emergency Preparedness Special Operations. And I happened to be working at the uh, Blue Nose Marathon in Halifax and met the director, Matt Boyle. And we had this long conversation about radios. And at the time, I 
working through the province, I was able to open up a door for communication for the marathon. They serviced, uh, ran across the, the bridges over to Dartmouth and came back. And I realized this office and government supported safety organizations and, and being able to have that safety net for radio communication was, was paramount and reached out to Matt and Scott and asked if, you know, the marathon would be eligible to be able to use the radio system. They were, and uh, instantly they were able to talk to every first aid post and, and uh, water station across the, the marathon course. So through that in 2016, these guys experienced a huge forest fire in the Western end of the province and realized that, staffing was was a huge issue they borrowed staff from other government agencies to be able to support so being in the fire service for over 30 years i actually took paul on his first fire back of the beaver tail he oh was getting God, dressed heading out, heading out that, to well, that's a true story <laughs> yeah i was straddling there holding on he was putting on his boots and coat in yeah. between we were heading out 1989 1989, 1989. Yeah. mark mark straddled believe it or not mark yeah. straddled me i got dressed with my high boots and and uh, go, I know. Picturing that. <laughs> Don't picture Picturing that. that. No, this is what we wrote on the tailboard. Right? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> it's a safety's so I started here and uh, I currently program development officer. I manage uh, the vehicles and facilities to ensure their operational readiness and uh, we have a fleet of nine vehicles and we have a cache of an excess of 200 event radios that we, we use on a daily basis to support the citizens and other agencies in the province. So big job. Man, I got to tell you, I'm a bit in awe. It, it's kind of hard to sit at this table and uh, I, I've got a few years in like all of you, but uh, mostly just firefighting, right? I haven't worked for forestry and AHS and, or sorry, you guys, EHS, we're AHS over in Alberta right and get to do all the different things that you did so that's cool one of the things i loved is the passion even from the time we got here like we're not even here five minutes and we're up in the truck and mark's explaining to me how it works and how we link everything together and and uh first thing i said was man this would have been helpful many 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 times in my career right so uh to me i, I love it I, you think of all of the events that have happened over in this part of the country, you know, where you had to bring multiple agencies together. So there's the events that happen in Nova Scotia, but there's also the events like the hurricanes that impact the entire Maritimes, right? And some of the uh, RCMP events that happen that impact huge areas in the Maritimes. And so to me, to think that you have these two mobile communications support trucks and uh, all of these radios that you can get out there and get going, it's, it's kind of a cool thought. It actually makes me wonder about where I live and how we could be doing better. So, so let's just jump into some stories because I know everybody loves stories, right? And uh, so you guys all worked through the hurricane, different, uh, different roles. Well, actually, probably all the same roles at different times. <laughs> different, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to, to message over and talk to a couple of you and, and uh, see what's going on. And I was saying last night to Andrew how... Every time I get a hold of you guys, it, everything's just all good. It's all good. We got everything. It's like, I'm watching the news. Cottages are rolling out into the ocean. And, uh, right? It's, the roads have like 500 trees on them. You're like, no, it's all good. I'm sitting down here at the calm center. Everything's And so um, I got to tell you, you, you relax a guy. But uh, I know that it's not really relaxing over here, right? So what uh, I thought we could do is just kind of roll around the table and and tell a few stories. But Paul, I'm going to start with you because you were telling me one yesterday that uh, 
that I just couldn't believe. So it was the one about uh, where how the day kind of started. Yeah, off there. yeah. how your so day was rolling. I think it, for all of us, really, it's uh, where we're all volunteers in our communities. You know, we we kind of start that we start that hurricane off as responders within our community, and that kind of escalated to you know our regular jobs. And I, you know, I, I remember I'd been up watching this thing and we know we know stuff's bad when our, our friend bob robichaud is our meteorologist when bob starts putting out you know when he what was he using historical, historical events event, right? oh, yeah. so when he says stuff like that you know we're, we're gonna get nailed yeah my shed's gonna be knocked over, right? so you know we we started the day off i was up most of the night so i worry about my own house and you know your family comes first obviously for everything no, no matter what happens right so just making sure we're safe and even the neighbors and that and checking on people and i i kind of went down the fire station and we didn't turn a wheel like it was windy it was windy as heck and we you know about 10 after 12 we lost our power so it flickered five or six times and finally went out right so i said well we're done for it i was watching the i was watching the power map and i said it started you know 10,000 50,000 100,000 250,000 people that were power and i said oh this is going to be a big event right so it really wasn't until the next morning when we sort of the sun started coming up and you know i only slept three or four hours maybe at the most and you know uh we get our first call. The roofs come off a house just down the street from my place. So I rolled in and it was still kind of dark. And it, it turned out it was a array of solar panels that come off a house and we're kind of swinging on the front, hitting a vehicle and stuff. And, you know, I said initially told our guys that, you know, it's uh yeah, we, we got a roof off a house here and then it kind of snowballed from there. I think we end up going, you know, street to street, checking on, you know, trees that come down on cars and homes and that sort of thing. But for the most part, I mean, we didn't we didn't suffer a ton of damage from my from our perspective in the valley. We we fared out pretty good, and we kind of did a, a road by road check. And then probably about I guess about one o'clock, uh, I don't know if Scott or Matt had called me and said, "Can you come into work and check some tower?" We had to start checking tower sites. Uh, our primary goal is just to go in and make sure that you know the there's no trees blocking the road, that there's no power lines dangling down or whatever. So just kind of checking the sites that we could get into and. One of the things I, I noticed right off, I went up to, as I got further away from home, up towards, I guess, uh, Maitland and up towards Scotts area, actually, is the sheer amount of damage. It's true. Like, there was power poles down everywhere. There was, you were driving through tunnels of trees. And I, I, was, I said, I'd show you some pictures. You were sending us some pictures, yeah. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Like, it was, there was times I was driving saying, I don't know if I should be going through here. Like it was that bad, and you know, people out in their you're, lawns. So you're or, a firefighter. You kept going though. I kept. <laughs> yeah, I can It's not that bad yet. Yeah. So anyway, we we got up there. And I think I finished my tower, the ones that I could do, and I guess I stopped at our dispatch center at Shubenacadie, and uh, I think that's when the call came in for the search for the missing three-year-old, four-year-old, three-year-old. Doesn't matter, you know. And we basically, at that point, we threw all the resources we could at, at that search. I mean, you got a kid missing. It's just, it's in the midst of a hurricane. And, and uh, you know, Scott can tell you a little bit about the, when you first arrived, you didn't know whether it was a barn fire or a search because the community, when you talk, and, and I think it's this way in every part of Canada, but when you, when you have something like that, when you're missing a kid, I mean, everybody came together. There was literally hundreds of people, firefighters and community volunteers. And it's not always a good thing, right? Because there have to be some organization to the chaos. But people came together and, and we were called out to support that. So that was the start of our hurricane. We ended up working and, and uh, I don't spend the whole time talking with that, but we ended up supporting that search with some communications and helped the RCMP with communications and that sort of thing. But the next morning, I guess when we were doing shift change, Scott and Mark were on their way. Or it had arrived. I 
I remember an RCMP officer coming up between the trucks because we, we literally, we had a conversation about what was about three or four in the morning with the incident commander who said, if we don't find this little fellow in like three or four hours, the outcome's probably not going to be good. Right. And it was cold. It was a swampy area. And uh, he came running up between the trucks right at night, right shift change. And he said, we found him, we found him, we found him. I, first words out of my mouth, alive or it, what? He said, alive and healthy. And I was like, oh, thank God, right? So then we kind of went back to our business. And I think like all hurricanes and events that we've had, you, you kind of plan for, a, you know, maybe a two or three or four day event type thing. And we kind of wrap our operations up because things, things held up well. And our TMR system really held up well. I think 95% of it was up and running and the other guys can talk about a little bit about that. But, you know, this thing kind of escalated and keep getting, it kept getting busier and busier and busier. And, and, you know, little did we know it wasn't going to be a three or four day session. It was, it was more or less going to be, well, it was almost two weeks really in the it's end. Almost two so, weeks. Yeah. With equipment. And we probably, it was an event that we gave out more radios than we ever have uh, loaned out more radios. We had more equipment. We came up with some unique solutions for different things. Um, it's the first time we, one of the things we get asked for a lot now is, is data. You know, people can talk on the radio and that's, that's kind of the easy part now. Now everybody wants data because our cell service was shot here in, in the province, right? Text, buddy. Yeah. So everybody's got to text. Everybody's got to social media and show their pictures and everything. So that's one thing. The data was a big thing. But that's kind of how our my day started out. I mean, I think for the first shift, uh, we worked from, well, I was up at 5 in the morning and never got home the next day to 11 and then slept for a couple hours and right back into work again. <laughs> so Time for a bag of disaster chips and a pop. Exactly. Work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, that was kind of the start of my... Or no, what do you guys call them? Storm chips. Storm chips. Storm, storm chips. chips. Got to yeah. have some storm chips. We could come up with disaster chips. Yeah, disaster chips. Yeah. That's right. It'd be a special yeah, kind. Be the... All right. So, Scott, why don't you take it from there and tell us a little more about the search, if you can, and kind of... Yeah, I guess I was kind of... These guys were all out checking tower sites, and from where they lived, I'm probably more northern Nova Scotia, so uh, we were still getting a little bit of the effects of, of the hurricane and that, so... Uh, where the weather was good, I guess they looked at, at trying to check what they could down in the west. I kind of took over for Scott as the as the duty officer while he was out, and we got the call from Ground Search and Picto asking uh, for communications. We, we we've done a lot of testing in that area and where it was in Springville, just outside of, of Plymouth. We knew that you go a couple of kilometers over down the hill that you really your signal's not great. So especially when it was a four year old, and it called Scott to to tell them what was going on and immediately was let's let's get resources rolling there it was uh, an eerie an eerie drive for me it's about a probably 45 minute drive to into new glasgow area but uh pulling on the highway and, and coming past duyak and not a light on brookfield the same way and then really notice that when you come past truro on roby street and the highway and it was just completely black it was just you know when you're used to having lights all over you it was really uh eerie uh no, the drive wasn't overly bad. It was still some wind gusts. Uh, getting in uh, to the search site where we were going, I think I was trying to, I call Paul at every little section we got to and said, when you're coming out, watch this. You got a tree hanging out over the road. You got a I had that thing. big drop. Yeah, the big yeah. Yeah. There were some spots that were, were tight getting through, but when we get up there, I think I even I radio Paul and said, I'm not sure we're at the right thing. This looks more like a barn fire than a, <laughs> yeah. than a search. There was... I'm going to say probably close to 30 fire trucks that were there and then the amount of people. And then as you get up, you check in with the incident commander, they give us a place, you know, where we were set up and then you go up even further and see just 
personal vehicles that are lined up and down the road were there. And it's a testament you know, to that area. That area was hit quite bad with, with a lot of damaging winds, but to just drop what they were doing to come out and, and help for a four-year-old. And like, it's a little more scary, I guess, when you look at a kid. We all have kids, so it's, you know, you, you kind of put yourself in, what if I was that parent, you know, and you saw what happened. They turned around for three or four minutes and he was gone. Uh, so it was. That's how fast it, it happens. It, right? Yeah. So, I mean, and throughout the night, it, it was a long night. Like Paul said, we were not early. I lost power you know, close to like, a little bit after 10 that night. And I went 12 days without, without power. So trying to manage what you're doing through work and then trying to work after your home to make sure everything's all right. Luckily, a person's generator years ago that, that got us through and gave us a lot of stuff. But uh, it was uh, it was certainly, a, I don't think I worked that many hours in, in two weeks in, in my <laughs> life. It was, it was a long drawn out process, but you always saw the difference that you were, that you're making. You now, I think once it was over, we got home that Sunday, you know, you're up all night, so you kind of want to get a rest. And then it was, for me, it was up and drove to Anaganish that night and spent the night took over for Mark, who was providing some support for an area in Anaganish. Uh, overnight back, I got a couple hours sleep, and then I was uh, called and asked to go uh, work a, a shift overnight at the Provincial Coordination Centre. So worked a couple of those through the week, and then um, just trying to support you know all the different stuff that came in. We had everything that's going on. Yeah, a number of different things that, if it could happen, it did happen. Um, so it was... It was there, and then you know, once once that hard hit area picked up in, in Cape Breton, where they put the incident management team from Department of Natural Resources in, they kind of moved into that Pictou County area. So, uh, really, it was almost a whole week there supporting, you know, theirs with with radios, comm support. Uh, you know, we were able to secure a, a device, the the Starlink device from uh, New Brunswick government to to set that up and give people what they needed for data so uh really we were there for for almost a week and a half i guess just supporting that on, on different areas so it was a it was a long long week but you know once you were made to take a day off it, kind of was, it was good you laid down and you were, your turn <laughs> so that's so kind of a good segue mark you were in the truck telling me about all the different agencies that use the radio system so let's let's talk a little bit about the technical side of it now Keeping in mind that my technical side is very, very low. Oh, no, you're going to learn. You were uh, today. You were talking about all the power companies that came to help from all over the different places, and you were able to... Uh... It's amazing what we can do when, when we brainstorm as, as, uh, as a group, and you know, we're very close. So. so to go on that, like the hurricane came, Scott and I went home and, and went to bed that night because these boys were out at the search, both Paul and Scott. We relieved them the next morning, and then all of a sudden we found ourselves in Cape Breton. As soon as we got into Cape Breton, we learned that the we lost some a couple tower sites that were what we call in site trunking, meaning that the users can can talk within the footprint of the tower site, but they can't talk to the network provincially. So, with these uh, these new vehicles that we have, we have the ability to go in and set up a link between tower site in site trunking to one that's. In wide area trunking, we link the two of them together, put a mutual aid talk group, and that allows any agency within the footprint of that tower site to be able to communicate back to the communication center, whether that be an ambulance, a police car, RCMP, et cetera. So then, all of a sudden, as we're getting into the response phase and Andrew's working at the Provincial Coordination Center, it's 
you know, they're reaching out through the arrangements with uh, the state of Maine, the province of New Brunswick, province of Ontario, Quebec, Vermont, New Hampshire, they're bringing in power companies. So through the local coordination centers, we were able to provide radios and be able to get radios into the hands of the users in the field. So they're able to communicate back to the incident management team. So it was just a big, big effect. And at one point, I think Scott Hawks, we had over 200 event radios deployed across the province in, in various. Yeah. And eventually another hundred VHF radios. Yeah. With the military. So 300 radios that were deployed to, to assist all the agencies, including uh, the Canadian forces that were working on uh, the forestry operations in, in Cape Breton and the northern part of Nova Scotia. That's awesome. So, so Scott, why don't you take it from there then? So kind of give us from your lens what it's like to be a supervisor of all of this, I guess. Have you ever heard of herding cat? <laughs> no, there's one thing that, and I... And I we even pass pass room keys off of the causeway. I think that uh, one of the unique things about this team is the fact that we all do come from the background in the fire service. And my biggest problem would be if we had an incident, all the guys would want to go. Whereas typical government would be, well, I don't want to go. It's not my shift. It's just that. The other thing, these guys I know when I call, unless there's something very unusual, they, they will be turning wheels and going. In fact, one of our challenges is to make sure at the end of the shift you shut her down and go home because you'll keep working. I'm the same. That would never happen with you, Paul, right? You know, you always just work seven hours and shut her down. Eh? No, <laughs> no, no it, 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 it's great hours that get way. home. <laughs> uh, there's no waiting either. It, the, again, everybody's used to the pager going off. You jump up, you put the clothes on that you had laid out for, for going to bed so you can get going, you know, and away they go. So, I was the duty officer for the hurricane. It just had to be my week on call. And I was, was in my office in my house, and I had a ICS-214 form out starting to track everything that we were doing because it's really handy later to be able to pull that up. And, you know, we're big big supporters of ICS here in, in, in Nova Scotia and I think probably the whole East Coast. And I remember at a point it just started getting so busy that you couldn't quite get everything written down. And after a while, I came home, I think a week later, my desktop computer was still on, and when I unlocked it, it was on that 217. I could say, right there's when the bottom come out of it, because that's when I left, you know. It was uh, it was really, really busy. And as Mark said, you know, I'm the furthest guy to the west, but I ended up being the guy the furthest to the east the way it went. Started out, made a trip around the western end of the province, checking towers all around Yarmouth, and then then the search. Search changed everything. And from there, it truly, it, when I stopped to think about it, it's truly a blur. I remember key things like working with the Department of Natural Resources and Renewables, coordinating, getting them some radios so they could communicate with the military who were coming in. Parks Canada. Parks Canada, yeah, that was another big one. Parks Canada, the what they call their Eastern Field Unit, which encompasses the Highlands National Park, Fortress Lewisburg, and a few other sites, getting them a cache of radios and coordinating with Mark to get them up to them in Cape Breton. It was just it was just one thing after another, you know, you, you think it's gonna slow down and it, it doesn't. And because we don't have staff physically living in the eastern part of the province, we're all sort of in the west except for Scott, one of the goals I have is when there's something going on that affects the east, we need to get up there. So I was, one of us was going and I, I volunteered to take the, the first shift so I would have gone right to Cape Breton Regional's dispatch center met with the dispatch manager there to make sure she knew we were there to support them, as well as the emergency management coordinator, so he knew we were in the backyard, whatever they needed. So 
you know, there's some some things you you kind of blows your mind how the storm hits here, there, and everywhere, but not other places. You drive through and there's no damage. Drive into a place like Glace Bay, and there's just house after house after house with no roof left on the house, trees down everywhere, and just you think, holy cow, this is way worse than what I I had envisioned when I when I left home. But it's the funny things that stick out of my mind were the lineups for fuel. When fuel stations would get fuel, I was staying in member two at the at the Hampton there, and I could look out my window anytime, day or night, and there'd be cars lined up in the parking lots, all trying to get to the gas station. Two Cape Breton regional police cars coordinating traffic flow for a gas station. And then the one out at Howie Center, it was multiple kilometers of uh, of cars lined up. I, I did a I took my dash cam video and presented it at our local interoperability forum recently. And it was Mark and I were talking on the radio as we were driving through there. It was like, I can't freaking believe this, you know, like how many people need gas and well, you needed gas because you sat in the lineup for 12 hours idling your car to get gas too. But, but it, it's the little things like that, you know, and, and being up there and, you know, where am I going to go get a meal? You know, I'm, I'm a first responder, but I'm not really like a fire department or whatever. I'm kind of on my own. So, you know, you get lucky there was a Sobeys that had a generator running so I could go in and pick up a sandwich or something. You know, I never thought I'd be so happy to see uh, A&W open so I could get a hot meal. Like that was my first hot meal was A&W. <laughs> yeah, well, it was what you could get. And then I remember my first night in the hotel there. I didn't have a hotel room. And the dis- dispatch manager from CBRM got me a hotel room. Well, there was no power in the hotel. So they gave me this little lantern to walk through the hotel to find my uh, to find my room. Anyhow, that's uh, yeah. It was, there's some memorable moments for sure. More than one night, I was sleeping in bed, and someone else came in, and they don't even say nothing. They just take the empty bed right beside you and oh, lay wow. down. Is that you know? There's no power. There's no check-in system. If there's an empty bed, you're using it. One night up in high level, I was sleeping on the bed. There was another guy we didn't even know sleeping on the other bed, and my son was sleeping on the couch and. In the morning, we all got up. No one said anything to each other because you can't use the washroom or anything. Everything's yeah. down. And we all just went out back to work and never did know that guy's name. But uh, we, all, we all just stayed there, right? It's just how it goes sometimes. So, Acres Emergency Vehicles, a message from our community. A person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an Acres Emergency Vehicle. This is our mission to thank these people with the best gift we can, our best effort. Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres Emergency Vehicles, built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. So, Andrew, you were at the Provincial Operations Center, so a bit of a different picture from there then? Yeah, it is. So, my role there um, was the the IC. Our job there is to, to coordinate the response from, from the province. You know, we had, I think at peak, about 40 different agencies in the room with us, uh, as these guys had mentioned. You know, we had military uh, early off. We made the request for military assistance uh, because we knew, you know, it wasn't that long ago we had Hurricane Dorian here. As Paul had mentioned, you know, when Bob Robichaud says this is going to be a historical event, well, historical means probably worse than the last one that we had. And the last one was pretty, pretty impactful. So, 
And it was. We've seen, uh, you know, again, 400,000 people without power. Um, so pretty much half of the province without power. And as Scott had mentioned, you know, homes with, with the roofs off. So our role is to support the municipalities and the agencies that respond. It being the IC in there, I, the success of of that room and the business that it does is because of the people that are there. It's, you know, we're there to coordinate the people and, and make sure that they're there and represented. But, you know, the success that we know after every after action review we, we do, it's communications is, is one of those challenges. And, you know, I can proudly say that with the team that we have here that goes to the field and supports the communications, we know that that now is not going to be one of the challenges because these guys are going out to to fix it. And, and they're a great team to be very responsive amongst, you know, many other agencies that we have that that come to work with us when these things happen. Don't fix it all, fellas. We've got nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but what they, we'll talk about. you know, it's, it's, you hear Scott leaves from Yarmouth and drives to Cape Breton, right? That's just, that's just what we do. The same thing with our staff. They... Our staff, we're a Monday to Friday, you know, 8 to 5 agency or 8.30 to 4.30 agency. So, you know, even our admin staff and those staff that aren't used to working 15 days in a row and and working in a 24-7 shop, they pull it off and they turn those, you know, what would typically be a seven-hour workday into 17-hour workdays and they they make it happen. So the the staff that we have there, the agencies that are represented, the success of these events comes from, from these guys. I remember... Uh, they make my job pretty easy because, you know, Lyle Donovan calls uh, calls me at you know five thirty in the morning. He tells the story. Great, got up to go to work. Um, Want to check the sports scores? He's up in the you know the northern tip of of Cape Breton. Neil's Harbor. Yeah, Neil's Harbor. He's got no connection. You know, turns TV on. Nothing. Nothing on his phone. On his uh, mobile phone, picks up his landline. Nothing. Um, so calls me on his sat phone that again, these, you know, the province supports the municipalities with, uh, give them sat phone kits. So he calls me, he's like, we got big problems here. We have no communications, right? His, his team, our radio, he turned it on, it's bonking, right? It's not working either. So, you know, that's a big problem to me, but I turned and I, I, Matt Boyle was in there and I said, okay, no worries. I got Matt right here. And I give it to Matt and, you know, within a couple of hours it's fixed. They have a, uh, you know, a resolution to the to the problem, right? So that, you know, by making whatever these guys do in the technical background, uh, magic wand stuff, now police can talk again and EHS can be dispatched and fire departments can uh, can communicate, right? So that's big room, lots going on, but it's it's these guys that, that show up and, you know, they're a good crutch to lean on. It's the thing about having all of this... Uh of these trucks and all the extra radios and all the right and it's like you know do we need all that well from people that work in disasters you yes the answer is yes because if you only use them one day a year it's the most critical day of the year right and so you know here was two weeks of the most critical days strung together and and so you know every time i come into a place like this and i see this stuff i'm, I'm not ever going to learn it don't get me wrong but i'm so happy to know people that you know, in each province that do this kind of job. Right. And so I knew I wanted to get over here. I wanted to talk to you guys and, and kind of uh, understand what was going on. Cause I tell you in the West, like the TV was blowing it up. Like you guys are all going to be washed away and <laughs> we're going to have to get some boats and find you. Right. So um, in some places, I guess that wasn't far from the truth. The success for I mean, you look at these, these trucks, these are beautiful trucks. The one inside this one, brand new, lots of uh, good cash of equipment, but that all comes from, you know, past events. And I think 
these guys, again, have done a very good job at capturing in their lessons learned. You know, Mark talked about the fires in 2016. We're, we're not afraid to say that we're a little broken and to be better the next time, these are the things we need. And, you know, at the time they had good ears to listen and, and a good, uh, you know, good senior management team that could take that to government and, and get the, the stuff that they need. Right? That's a key good. element, though, is, is after action reviews and hot washes. That's something we do every time we have an event is, you know, even if it's let's take 10 minutes, just talk about what worked, what didn't before we even go home. And if it's something the size of this hurricane, we're going to have a, a real hot wash or I guess a debrief, and then we were even included in the provincial EMO debrief last week that Paul would have attended. So you do take those lessons, and you do learn from them, and you do improve. And one thing I do want to say, and I don't want to diminish the fact that we've got a lot of great equipment, but a lot of the times that I've been on incidents in this province, the challenge is not always the technology, it's the people, knowing how to use the equipment, knowing that, hey, there's shared talk groups in this radio, or I didn't realize that I could use simplex in a spot where there was no coverage or, you know what, I got a busy signal. Well, have you tried this? And a lot of times you can resolve things just with a good calm plan, a good 205 for in your incident action plan. Well explained, solve a lot of your problems right there. Every day at the beginning of my shift, I was always like, hey, guys, got a, got a 205, got a 205, <laughs> get the 205. I'm like, okay, we're going to make some changes because now this has happened. We got to add this to the, to the comp plan. The planning right? people love you guys. Eh? You just got yeah. your forms and you're ready to go. And it's that's related. the whole reason that monitor's on the side of that truck right there is to present the comp plan for people that are walking by. And in the 2016 fires, we learned that the comp plan at one point in the afternoon was changing every five minutes. We were just, we had a, an arsonist setting fires is what we suspected. And we just had fire after fire after fire. And we were doing ICS 400 type work, being an area command and kind of coordinating who's getting what for talk groups and, and equipment. And then, of course, here in, uh, in, in this year with the hurricane, we had a similar situation where, you know, we had a lot of our talk groups assigned. But one of the neat things about the radio system here is how it's grown beyond Nova Scotia province of Prince Edward Island came on this very same system a few years after we migrated. And after that, the province of New Brunswick came on this system. And right now, as we speak, it's being built out across the province of Newfoundland. And you can take a portable radio and talk anywhere in those four provinces and even into the state of Maine, which we've done, and into Quebec a bit. And we had responders from natural resources in New Brunswick come down to help with the hurricane. They didn't have to be given radios. Bring your own and we'll assign some common talk groups. We have created, in what we call our fleet map, or the radio programming, shared channels between the entire Atlantic region. So it was great. And we had crews come from Quebec, and they were not on this system. That's where our cash radios come in handy. We give the radios to, to the folks from Quebec. But the folks from, from uh, DNR New Brunswick were able to utilize their own radios sure. on our system. So it was, it was a huge bonus. Yeah, and there was no technology in the middle. It's simply they just switch their radio to common one, and we switch ours to common one. We have to get it assigned by dispatch, but away you go. Relationship cool. relationship building is huge too. And Andrew talked about the PCC, but just I work some shifts in there as well, and you, you can't undervalue that. I mean, it's it's 
it's not only relationship building at that time, but building before an incident. So there's nowhere, I don't think there's anywhere I can go in Nova Scotia. I don't know the fire chief or the uh, paramedic in the community or something. You got a locker in every fire hall. I've been <laughs> yeah, three, three of them at least. But, but even, even being in the PCC when, you know, you're looking at a site that, that, you know, maybe these guys are working with lands and forestry or the incident management team to get the, the trees cleared to get in. You can walk across the room from here to the door and talk to the folks from Nova Scotia Power and say, listen, the trees are almost cleared there. I think you're going to be able to get your crews in to restore power to that site. And, it, you know, they're able to help you and coordinate. And it's just that relationship building, right? To walk across the room. We did the same thing with, I call it Industry Canada, but I said now where we needed two additional yes. repeaters put into Sutherland's Bog, which is outside New Glasgow, where our incident management team is working to give them more radio coverage, basically. And a process that I say would take, and I'm guessing here, 30 days to three months Took less than, well, it took just over 24 hours, 24 hours and 10 minutes done, repeaters installed and up and working just because those guys are sitting across the table from me. And you say, this is what we need to do. How do we need to get, how can we get there and get there fast? And with the help of our, you know, our company that manages System Bell and I said, who's, you know, the federal partners, we got it done. And just, just because of those partnerships and, and the relationships we build both before the incident happens and during the incident. Relationships so, are everything in this, in this True. business. And we're small enough, and yet we're big enough, but we're small enough that we can make those connections. And because we travel all over the province, like what Scott's doing with training, we do know someone just about anywhere. If you had a flat tire in the middle of nowhere, oh, well, just give so-and-so a call. They'll come by and bring you a spare tire. You know, we've got relationships into the state of Maine. We've been trained by the U.S. Homeland Securities to be a communication unit leaders uh, certified by the U.S. Homeland Security. And as well, a couple of us have the uh, communication uh, technician course from, from Homeland Securities, which has kind of spun off into a relationship with Maine where we've actually got our link on one of the islands off of Digby where we can talk direct to the state of Maine and link them into anything here in Nova Scotia. So we could have an incident off the coast of Yarmouth having a Maine resource talking to a Nova Scotia resource, even though they're not on our system. We have a way to do that through a, through a repeater in Tiverton. Uh, uh, just, just say it's magic. It's magic. So we all, yeah, we just yeah. wave the wave. It's magic. magic. It's yeah. okay. Push a button. We can't, all, uh, we can't all do magic. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we can't figure it out. We just get bubbles involved. He's our engineer. <laughs> No, I, you're, you know, you're so right. Those relationship pieces are so critical, right? Uh, every disaster that I've been on, every time I go anywhere, it's uh, you're running into the same people doing the same thing, and you meet these, like, you guys are all a team, right? And you can kind of feel that. And then there's those teams, part of the bigger team, and, all, you know, all of a sudden it just gets to be this monster thing where everybody kind of knows somebody from somewhere, and, you know, it's uh, Scott can call up a, a plow truck driver that he knows over there and say, go check on this for me, and he would do it. Because he's happy, he's met him, and say, "Yeah, I'd be happy to help out with the team and make something work." Right? I was at a, I was at a fire down in Scott's area. I don't, th I didn't, you weren't there. You were away no, or something. Away. Anyway, I got called down to do comm support. Once the comm was set up, the fire chief comes over and says, "Can you operate our pumper for a little bit?" He says, <laughs> and just that, that's that's a tight relate. Like, I mean, this is you know, hundred miles from where I live. But he knows me, and he says, "Can you operate the truck?" So I, I sent Scott a picture. I said, "Hey, look what I'm doing. Comms were working great." I said, "I'm, I'm operating your pumper at this fire, right?" So it's kind of it's kind of funny that way, and we all run into the fires in our blood. Look what happens. We've got an office in Chester Grant, twin to this, and the local fire department, Chester Basin Fire, knew that there were four experienced firefighters in the area in the daytime when you're shorthanded. 
and we've all agreed to uh, basically be drivers for them, or at least a set of eyes to go out. Sometimes we're the first on scene, call them and say, here's what you got, or go to the station and drive one of the trucks. So, uh, is that Doug, the chief out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. We, we stopped in there and he was yeah. telling us that, uh, he seen Paul's he bunker stalling. <laughs> he said, Paul Nader, even on his bunker here. <laughs> of, of course he does, Doug. Of course he does. <laughs> it goes without saying. It's not Wolf, it's only Wolf will have sport in Chester Basin. That's it. That's it. Well, and then whoever else. Wants yeah, that's it. it. What about New Minus? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. New Minus. <laughs> Paul's shape, so he wears mine there. Paul has his own keys. Paul has his own keys to the new aerial. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's a true story. If I'm in New Minus, I go to the hall and I'll grab his gear, Joe Huntley's, yeah. or the other, whoever, whoever's not there. No, it's it's kind of cool to uh, it's it's fun to listen to you guys and and uh, see how passionate you are about this job and this piece of connecting people and and communication really is connecting. I do worry that you'll figure it all out and share it with everyone and we'll have nothing left to talk about in an after action review, but. Uh, you know, it's uh, you, you see it getting better, right? I mean, I can remember way back 1988, they had the big flood in our town and, and uh, you know, they're driving boats all over and helicopters are flying around and nobody could talk to anybody, right? It's just, they, they really couldn't. It was all visual or someone would land for a minute. You have to talk to them and, and uh, or, you know, stop in the middle of this big flood, two boats talking to each other. And so at the I just end of said the day, about the so, search, when we, just before we started this podcast, there was a search and I was telling Kristen that, you know, the helicopter takes off and heads up to that search. And as soon as it leaves, there's a common radio talk group that everybody's talking on. So, you know, so if, if they were looking connected. for a vehicle, you know, the helicopter flies up, finds the vehicle and can tell everybody, hey, found the vehicle here. The police can can go in and do what they need to do and everybody else can stand down. Right? So it's, it's truly, yeah, it's truly amazing how far it's come. And so the next question I kind of want to ask, and I'm going to pick on Mark a little bit here because okay. I feel like he's going to know, but... What like what's next? What can I expect in? Uh, am I going to be able to use my phone and talk like a radio? Am I going to be able to? Mm. We are working on on some new things, and um, there's a lot of new technology coming down the pipes. Uh, we just recently trialed a new radio with uh, with Bell and Motorola. The the new next. the APX Next, which uh, actually has mapping capabilities in that. I'm not sure. You know when that might be trialed out, but great that it actually hooks up to the internet, so on over the cellular network. So whether you've if you've uh, potentially great for inbuilding solutions for those areas that uh, are having some problems. Data is a big thing right now, as as Paul said. So you know we're working on those solutions on a provincial basis. I look around and I uh, I see you guys mostly have the fancy Apple watches. You guys nerd out talking on the CB app on those watches or what? Just no, I've don't never mind me. Got there yet? Teach us. Teach us. Yeah. yeah, mine's in my yeah. truck, but uh, <laughs> yeah. could come out here. Yeah, yeah. I was I was talking on my walkie-talkie yeah. on my watch to our deputy chief back in Chestermere, Alberta, the other day yeah. from our from our rental. Just remember that's not public safety grade. <laughs> <laughs> when you're competing for everybody else's time on that system, yeah. Don't worry, I'll get you the money. You, you guys just make it all work. <laughs> yeah, we'll, 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 we'll find you yeah. some money. It's moving that way. It is. Yeah. It's, it just changes. You know, the, the, there's a lot could be done with cellular. It just has to be hardened. And, and we've seen that here in Nova Scotia with the cellular network. That uh, It was one of the first things to go down. The priority is going to be on the radio system. Even if cellular is in the same tower site as TMR, which is Trunk Mobile Radio, for those that weren't aware, they will ensure that the radio gets the priority for power. 
cellular, they'll turn it off to, to, to save TMR. But most all of our tower sites are now powered with generator backup power anyhow. And something else so I don't forget, uh, don't be surprised if you see us in Alberta in the future. Uh, we're all now signed up through the Department of Natural Resources to be exported on large forest fires. So normally it's firefighters that go, but sometimes it's comm support people. And we were asked two years ago if we could come up, I think two or three asked to come to Alberta, but we weren't set up in the system to be able to be exported. Now we're, the four of us are, are set up to be exported uh, anywhere in the country if there's a call for extra help. And we work a lot with the, the folks with the Alberta Forestry Group. Norman Quilicini out there, he's a, what? a good Norm, kid. Norm, he's my boy. You know him? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah, well, Norman actually uh, loaned Norman us a satellite dish. a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Small we world. just draw this satellite. Yeah, we had one of their satellite dishes down here. We were actually doing internet through Alberta's ground stations that was either in Lake Labiche or uh, Edmonton. I think that's where the two ground stations were. Yeah. Cape Breton Highlands. Yeah, we were. Yeah, small world. It, it would never surprise me. I could tell you, like, when I'm at a disaster, nothing surprises me. I've I've seen cops from all over Canada that I know, you know, the, the forestry people come in. We get lots from Quebec, Ontario, BC, and, uh, you know, it, nothing ever surprises me. I'm walking across a parking lot and someone, hey, Coots, what's up? Like, yeah, right? I remember the prince and princess were there and I'm walking across to get checked in and right in our own town and I hear, hey, Coots, what's up? And it's a guy that was a firefighter like 15 years before, went to the police, ended up on the protection detail and ended up walking me right through this two-hour checkpoint thing in about two I minutes. I thought you were going to say it was the princess. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know her. I do now. His princess is in the other room. Got, right. got her on Instagram. Yeah. But, uh, Instagram. <laughs> you know, nothing ever surprises me anymore. There's just so many people. And and then you watch like the Australia thing, right? And and I was watching on my feed, everybody's heading over there. And you just like every picture I would zoom out and I'd be like, oh, no, that person, no, that person, no, that person. And, and uh, you're just pumped for them because you know that all these great people are going to help out wherever they're needed in the world, like you said, which is kind of a, it's a cool thought, right? That this stuff is so high tech and there's such a small group of you that know how it works that you can move around and go from province to province to help out, to support that guys like me just love that. I can't think of anything better than, than flying you around and getting you to help out. So Scott F, you didn't get to tell us uh, many stories sitting across from Paul Maynard is a big, uh, a big problem <laughs> to get on the podcast. I'm using your shadow. So I, uh, uh, I'm good with that. <laughs> oh, that's how it is. I'm, the reality's crashing down. Eh, right I'm now. the quiet one out of the group. You're the quiet one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> How about other stories, guys? You got to have some other. What, let's talk about some wildland fires. We were just uh, talking about we got, that. Oh. Scott's got a good one there. We uh, at the 2016 <coughs> fires. Yeah. yeah so it, it, like I think we talked earlier. There's not fires aren't big compared to what you guys get in Alberta, right? But they're but they're they're big to us because there's communities embedded and all this stuff. Wow. Compared to the landmass, right? Yeah. So. so we ended up down in those fires in 2016, providing calm support. But like Scott said, there's several that broke out. And you know the story better. You can tell it. But, I mean, we had this one incident no, where we no. almost... We <laughs> almost we you almost can tell it, but I'm just going to keep telling it. We almost burned up one of our trucks. And, I'll, and with that, I'll pass over to Scott. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was a close call. Now, uh, this was before the two new trucks were uh, put into 
in the play, we had a Suburban, a 2008, no, it was 2006 Suburban. It's got a pneumatic mast that comes up out of the center of it. Still looks pretty fancy. And uh, we had the fires there, and we, we had a digital vehicular repeater set up in the unit, and we took it back a side road, and we were shorthanded. So we just put the mast up and let the truck run, kept the air conditioner on, and left the truck. And uh, later on that day, I don't remember exactly how I got the call, but they said... Called you oh, on yeah? the radio. On the radio. And said the fires fires getting a little close. And he was a non-firefighter. And when he we said, Well, he probably doesn't realize the difference, right? It's probably probably hundred miles away, knowing him. Oh no, it was about hundred feet away. Yeah. So I, I decided I'll I'll go get the truck and get it out of there. So I'm driving north on Highway 8, just north of Kedjimakujik National Park. And I'm driving along, and then all of us and the highway's closed because the fire had been jumping the road. And for us, that's something we don't normally experience. You know, that's something very unusual. So I'm feeling pretty comfortable. The next thing, it's starting to get smoky. And I don't see any fire, but it's getting really smoky. And I'm at a point now, like, I'm hoping that's the center line and the white line on the shoulder of the road. And I'm realizing I shouldn't have come in here. I'm in trouble. And I don't know whether I should try to back up or go forward or just gun it and go. You know, your, your brain is going 100 miles an hour. And I just said, all right. I'm committed. I'm going to keep going. Uh, no sign of fire, but it was getting warm, so the fire was close. Anyhow, I got through that. I would never do that again. That was a mistake. And I went back to gravel road where the truck was. And I had one of you guys with me, maybe. Who did somebody to drive the truck out? I forget who I had. Dude, I don't remember. Doesn't matter. Anyway, we got back there. Oh yeah, generator tech. Yeah, we get in there. It's like holy crap! The fire's burning right up to the back bumper of the truck. And we're like holy smoke! So we. Literally, holy smokes. So we hit the button to drop the mast. The mast is dropping. We're pulling up the uh, stabilizers. And, you know, a road you drive about 10 kilometers going in. We're driving like 60 going out. It Like, we, we just saved that truck. That was very close. Now, some would argue you'd risk your life to save that truck, and it wasn't probably the smartest move. But, again, that's one of those situations where we hadn't experienced fires like that. And uh, I learned some lessons on that one for sure. Yeah, tell, tell, us about, tell us about how you played sheriff too. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Well, you're talking about the today. lady that came through the barricades. Yes. Well, yeah. This, there were people doing stupid things. There were two <laughs> checkpoints. There was a Department of Transportation at the highway blocked by the national park, and then at the northern part of the community where the, the homes stopped, there was another barricade. And I was driving back from being at the fire scene and I was coming back and the road was closed and there was a bulldozer in high, right on the turn on Highway 8 and they had a mechanic there tearing it apart or something broke. But the road's closed so nobody has to worry even though it's on a blind turn. And I'm driving along and all of a sudden I meet this car with two women in it and they're driving along like nothing's wrong and I'm like, who the hell is that? So I pull up to the barricades. I said, who was those two women? I don't know but they weren't stopping. I'm like, oh, my God. So I chased after them to try to get them stopped because I knew what was going to happen. They're going to come around the turn, and they're going to meet that bulldozer sitting there, and they're going to hit it. So anyway, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't catch them at first, so I really ramped it up. I said, well, I'm not normally supposed to use lights or siren on pulling someone over, but i got to do something here. So I put the lights on. I thought, she'll stop. Nope, she didn't stop. Put the siren on. Didn't stop. Paralleled her, waving at her to pull over. Wouldn't stop. I had to cut her off. And, and I'm like, I don't ever want to be a cop, I can tell you after that experience. <laughs> anyway, I got her stopped, and I got out, and I said, where the hell are you going? She said, we got to catch the Digby Ferry. I said, you're not going to be getting any ferries today. Anyway, I, I couldn't believe that 
that somebody would do that. Like I said, the fire is literally jumping the road and you're going to kill someone anyway. Oh no. Well, we, we we're scheduled to be on the ferry at three o'clock. That's where Google told me to go. <laughs> yeah. That, but uh, that's, you know, give me an appreciation for what police do. You think that pursuit stuff would be really fun? Not my game. No. How to make fun and, or uh, how to make friends and influence people. Eh? That's a, I think tough to I think those fires were, you know, for everybody. I, mean, I was working in the dispatch center time and I was, you know, a nice August night coming in work night shift and my partner and I were coming in and it was like quarter after seven and we looked up going, there's two DNR helicopters leaving shooting at this time of night, this isn't good. And I'm walking in there and, and finding out what was going out through the first night. Uh, other than, you know, hot season, I don't think everything that busy was set in. And the phone calls that were coming, uh, you know, the fire apparatus that were all was unbelievable. And I got a chance, uh, took it down, you know, for two or three days and, and worked with, with these guys uh, on it. So just to, to see what it was like on, on the dispatch side of the and see the issue and devastation was, was unbelievable. Scott talks about the, you know, the oblivious people to the situation and, but there's the people that pay attention. I know Paul and I's phones being, you know, engaged in the fire service in the province and, and knowing a lot of people, we had to put some messages on social media to say, like, we understand that everybody wants to come and help. You may be needed at some point, but it was the amount of support that showed up. Of course, it's right after the Fort Mac fire. So, you know, people watch what happened from here, watch what happens there. And they see all the needs of the community there that just, Man, that just stayed right in tow here. We had, uh, I tell the funny story about the uh, the Red Bull. Right? The Red Bull uh, rep shows up and and drives through the fire line somehow and, and is handing out Red Bull to the fire crew. And I remember the safety officer coming back on, I'm getting reports that there's Red Bull out on the fire lines. And we're like, no, there can't be. Anyway, sure enough, they had to send a team out to go, you know, <laughs> confiscate all of this Red Bull that's been distributed throughout the fire lines because it's the last thing you want a bunch of firefighters doing is pound. And they were loving it, right? Wow, Red Bull, who? Red Bull gives me wings. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, uh, yeah. yeah and the amount of stuff was, the, our fire hall was full of cases of water. Our department was the closest fire department at the time, just in my backyard, literally. We had cases and cases and cases of water and Gatorade donated. People were on social media saying, you should really do something for the firefighters. Bring bring water. Fish bring Remember fish trucks showing up with ice yeah. and like just bins, those, those big, I don't even know how many gallons, fish big tubs. fish tubs just with ice and water. And we, we gave away truckloads of juice and water afterwards like months afterwards, we had a shed full of it. But well, we used it for the droughts, right? Yeah. The Southwest we, Nova. We gave it away, like for that. Like, mm -hmm. we, we're never going to use all that. Yeah, I think I had called, I knew you were coming up to a part where it was, and I said, when you come up, can you grab me a couple of things of water and, you know, and a Gatorade? And he comes up with a great big garbage bag with probably 50 <laughs> Gatorade water. So here you go. <laughs> this is your share. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, I, I still remember the a lady showed showed up from, Barrington Passage or something, which is what two hours away, probably? pretty close. Yeah, um, she shows up and, and opens the trunk of her car and pulls out this tray of egg salad sandwiches and you know a mixed tray of sandwiches. I came from Barrington with this. We're like, oh dear, <laughs> thank you very much. And you know she pulled away and I was like, Paul, got to throw these in the dumpster. Like we don't want to be pushing. You think Red Bull uh, gave you wings? <laughs> <laughs> We ended up with Andrew and I ended up tasked with some, with hauling around a couple of the 
the senior uh, government officials. I can't even remember who it was. The deputy. Well, yeah, that was, that was kind of my job. We we <laughs> made arrangements to have like the government of the day in, and uh, even some of the opposition came. And we gave them some tours. Yeah, and then I, it was uh, uh, maybe your deputy minister at yeah, the time I think, I think of so, internal yeah. services. We were in the we were in your vehicle and kind of blacked out in the uh, back. And they were in the back, and we pulled into this site, and the two firefighters. Um, we're down in the ditch and they kind of, you know, of course, we're in an air-conditioned vehicle. They don't know who's in back, right? So these two come up and they start and it was it was hilarious because they're like, what are you two losers doing? Well, you should be down here helping us, not sitting in an air-conditioned vehicle. Oh, and then, then they just start cursing and swearing and Andrew says, <clears throat> <laughs> we got your bosses in the back. <laughs> got the premier and the deputy premier and everybody else. They don't know we're losers. Stop it. <laughs> I remember the, the, fire, the fire lit up. We were talking, we stopped to talk to Robert Lafergie, who was one of the That's line bosses talking, at the yeah. time. And all of a sudden this this fire just blew up and candled up the tree and and mid-conversation, we were only talking for five seconds, mid-conversation, he's like, holy shit! And he bolts <laughs> off the side of the road and down and tries to put the fire and he comes back and he's like, all right, who were you introduced me to? I'm like, well, this is your deputy minister. He's like, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, his deputy minister's eyes are this yeah, big anyways because yeah. he's like, wow. He's all selfieing. Him and Maynard. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a selfie that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all those pieces are what makes it kind of incredible eh? like all those little stories and the things that stick in your mind we all have those things that you know stick in your mind the good the bad and the ugly of the of the jobs that we've had the weekend scott got married uh we got we had a fire down to the backwoods of uh, the toby attic basically and we had to all our equipment by the way is on our pickup trucks is to uh, we can deploy on helicopters right so it's basically everything that's fixed mounted here can go on a helicopter and i remember going scott and i flew into it and i remember i said i said the first thing i noticed was that the, the flies are as big as birds <laughs> i'm like jeez we're getting eaten alive but anyway i was the first thing i said i said i gotta be to fisher's wedding i said we gotta get to fisher's wedding so you know even then we we had made arrangements to make sure we were, we got to your wedding it was actually the the uh, first night there you had the whatever they call it the, the yeah the supper and the the rehearsal, I guess rehearsal it was. Day. Yeah, so I did the rehearsal. So they ended up flying me back out so I could drive and drive to Scott's place to to participate in his wedding that weekend. But that was hard walking at that fire. It was all those scrub bushes. You stepped on somebody's lunch. Well, I did. I, I fell on Jim Scott's lunch. We were carrying a DVRS digital beer kit one hand and on a generator the other hand, trying to go as fast as you can. The next thing, whoa, do a face plant right on Jim's lap. And he had, I think you had an egg sandwich and I crushed it. <laughs> Nothing to yeah. see here, folks. Keep moving. <laughs> and I think we've all been involved in, you know, especially, you know, we see a lot more searches in this province. And, you know, a lot of the time you're you're there and you see the good outcomes, but there's times where, you know, that it's not a good outcome. I remember the first one I ever did, and it was down in Pictou County. A little fellow had drowned. And, you know, just to see, you know, you got family over here, you got emergency service here, you got, you know, a dive team, you get ground search and rescue, bring the body out. And just, it's, you know, it, it, most of it's good, but sometimes you get on that. The heart wrenching pieces that. Fire, yeah. Especially how with kids. It's, yeah. But having the background of the fire service, I think it prepares us a little more for that. I remember helping carry a body up that had ground in Kedji National Park, you know, you're walking up, you're the comm unit, but hey, I'm going to help carry the body up. But we've had other calls where some of our head office staff have gone. I remember we went to a bad motor vehicle accident where there was some radio issues. It was 
uh, double fatality and uh, was an oil truck that had crashed and was fire. It was like a worst case scenario thing. And I remember uh, one of the guys I had with me from head office said, what's that white thing laying in the road up there? I said, that's a body. Oh, my God. I said, yeah, that was the driver of the truck. They've, they've got him covered over waiting for uh, body removal. And, and that's when it hit home to him. It was like, wow, you know, it's not all about just supporting the radio. It's like somebody's died. You know? Yeah, fair enough, right? Every event's for something, right? You're getting called yeah. to support some kind of big event. It's, you know, a lot of we look at it, even in the fire service, it's, it's somebody's worst day. Yeah, that's right. But you're there to support and make sure that, you know, you at least, you know, give the agencies there the tools they need to. We, we get called some really, we get to get involved in really cool things too. I mean, we get in places like, you know, how many people get to chance to see the inside of a prison, right? You know, you were just up there at Spring Hill and- I thought you did five to 10. I, I did, yeah. 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 Andrew just got super quiet yeah. there, so Andrew, Andrew, yeah. <laughs> Andrew goes in, I take his place. No, but, but you know, you look at prisons where we did the, uh, they had a CFL game uh, here in Wolfville and uh, we were called right off the get-go to help support the comms and uh, it- Right at Acadia University? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, which cool. is huge because yeah. it, you know, when you look at the radio system in Nova Scotia and the amount of voice channels on a tower site to be able to reach out and say, come to a meeting and plan so that we can allow communications to go on day to day and not affect it. So we went down as a team, we did some radio coverage testing in the area. We come up with a solution. We're able to use the, uh, the, the provincial TMR network, the VHF network. We were able to have some simplex. Went off of the it, was, it was perfect. Yeah, and the spinoff from that's huge. I just read an article that the CFL just put out after doing a, a study on that, um, because they claimed it to be one of the most successful off-site um, CFL events, and it's you know it's part and parcel to you know the EM, the communications, the the fire service, the police the service that stepped and, up for yeah. what you know three months of planning prior to to make that successful. And well, and we use the VHS solution with the truck repeater to be able to allow the the town of Wolfville to be able to distribute radios to their staff, to be ambassadors, to be able to, you know, assist, assist the public coming in. So it was a huge success. And we learned that Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans travel in droves. It was <laughs> never going out looking down Main Street when the bus is coming in and all you see is the sea of green that's coming up. There. All the watermelon heads it's rolling a, down. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And yeah. The band they brought with it was, I mean, it's it was, a big event for a small town. You look at, you know, Wolfville's what, three or 4,000 people plus students when it's not, when it's university, but uh, quite you know, there was, population. The, yeah, there was, there was 10, I think there's a 10 or 11,000 people and then all the support that goes along with it. So it's throwing those into a town. I was there yesterday having uh, lunch at the church there yeah. and uh, I can't even imagine another 10,000 people there. It was a quiet Sunday afternoon, and it was packed. I but because remember. of because of planning, and I think we've said at some of the debriefings, you shoot a cannon down Main Street in Wolfville during that game, wouldn't hit a car because of the good planning that went into uh, you know, Everybody getting ready. In yeah. and, the, and we do a lot of that. I mean, we do uh, the Warfare. Apple, and a lot of it's flying on its own now. Apple Blossom Festival, the Wharf Rock Rally, which is a big, big motorcycle rally in Digby. It all yeah. started with the Rolling Stones concert yeah. a number of years yeah. ago on the Halifax Common. That was yeah. That was a big one. We just got called the other day. There's another, apparently another uh, country music festival or singer coming to Wolfville or Wolfville area that they want our, right off the get-go. They said, we need you to start coming to the planning meeting. I heard you were the opening act. Well, I'm working on it. Yeah. Bubbles does play the guitar. <laughs> yeah. You know that song? <laughs>
Yeah, Scott and I travel a lot together. He hears me singing. But yeah. <laughs> 80, 80s at eight. <laughs> well, guys, I got to tell you, it's been a pleasure. You know, I, I love to see what a tight team this is. I love to hear your stories. And I could sit here all day, but uh, I can't. So Pre- appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate you sharing this story with us, uh, all those stories with us, right? I think that uh, we get, you know, I travel across the country and work with fire departments. And one thing that I can all say is that uh, we appreciate the job that you do. We appreciate how that's uh, come along and it's improving across the whole country. So keep up the good work. And uh, like you said, maybe I'll see you sooner than I think. You never know. You never know. All right. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it, everyone. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.